All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a minute. I hope you're doing well. I hope you had a good summer. And we're back. We're back at Mission Hills this Sunday, September 3rd. We are kicking off a new climate series called Rewild Explorations in Eco-Spirituality. So if you're around, I hope you can join us. September every year is kind of a pivotal month for us. We like to start every fall semester by talking about the climate crisis and, and I know a really cheery uh, fall uh, conversation starter. So we'd like to talk about the climate crisis, uh, you know, what's going on in our world, uh, where are the, the intersections of all of the varieties of climate devastation, where are they hitting us, what's happening in our own community. Uh, as, so, as you all know, uh, there was devastating wildfires in Canada uh, obviously, Maui, just absolutely uh, horrific fires uh, in the town of Lahaina. As many of you know, um, I lived on Maui briefly and am connected to uh, many people who uh, aren't immediately affected, but definitely connected to um, friends and family who are going through so much loss right now. So as we talk about the climate crises over the course of the next month, uh, we recognize that we're doing it within these contexts that we, we want to talk about it on a variety of different levels while recognizing that uh, its impacts are being felt by uh, people we know right now. And so, um, you know, not to be, we want to hold that delicately, not to be uh, completely doom and gloom, but also to recognize that uh, the immense and imminent nature of all of the crises uh, that are everywhere, uh, we had the hottest summer uh, in recorded history. Uh, the Gulf of Mexico is basically on fire, apparently. Uh, and we had uh, just this week a hurricane hit Florida. We had a hurricane hit uh, California first time in, I think, 80 years. So uh, just we feel the the impacts and the effects everywhere. And so when we talk about um, eco-spiritualities, we're developing a, a kind of uh, a language and hopefully uh, a kind of spiritual resiliency that um, that matches the, the level and and respects the uh, degree to which um, people are being affected uh, by these ecological disasters uh, right here and right now. So, so I think it's important. I mean, we've we've done this now for so many years that it's kind of hard to it's hard to know where to start and what to uh, repeat or how to how do we. Um, build off those previous uh, conversations that we've had. And we recognize that our community has changed uh, so much over the, over the course of the last six years and um, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, that kind of thing. Um, but we remember, at least what I would want to say at the beginning, that we remember that the heart of eco-spirituality and what will a lot of times be referring to as a kind of creation spirituality within the Jesus tradition um, is... The heart of it is justice. It's, it's primarily about justice and the ways that um, that justice can be felt uh, in and around our world, um, both past, present, I mean, past, present, and future. Um, it includes uh, climate justice for for all people, but not only all people, but we recognize all life. Eco spiritualities, uh, I think, are streams within the broader Christian tradition of liberation theology. So we're always trying to continue this conversation, uh, broaden our language, grow uh, in a kind of Christian eco-spirituality, and uh, and listen to those that are being uh, affected most by 
climate change and policies and as, as we kind of come to a better understanding about the ongoing science and research that's going on. So like I said, we've been doing this six years, uh, examining uh, and changing our practices at Mission Hills, our individual practices at Mission Hills, uh, which we've done um, in a variety of different ways, right? We've talked with people who are working amid climate catastrophes, people developing solutions, uh, young people that are protesting for the end of fossil fuels, connecting with spiritual leaders, advocating for a renewed global spiritual consciousness um, alongside the cri- all the crises that we face. And I was thinking the other day that uh, we're now, I think, eight years past when Pope Francis wrote his climate encyclical, which is called Care for Our Common Home. And it it strikes me how how seminal and important that was at the time, and then also how quickly we we have a tendency to move on, and how quickly uh, how the, how the crises have escalated in that near decade so quickly. I mean, all the warnings that that happened thirty years ago, twenty years ago, ten years ago. Uh, like it's just compounding at this point. And part of that does feel a little bit defeating, I think, but I think it's also important to, to look around at so many people that are uh, doing amazing work to, to address so many of these crises uh, around the world. So we're going to get into some of those stories throughout this month. Uh, Kelly and I are going to have a conversation and then uh, I'm going to kind of go through this uh, hopefully kind of ecological, spiritual framework for how we might be able to, uh, how we might be able to situate ourselves within uh, a Christian eco-spirituality. So over the course of this month, I'm going to draw a lot from uh, Matthew Fox's framework uh, for what he calls creation spirituality. And I'll, I'm going to share some things that I resonate with, and hopefully some of this can be useful, and then we'll we'll talk about it on, on Sunday. So, uh, a few questions that might be important to to address, like off the top, as we enter this week and enter this month, um, why why did why develop an eco spirituality to begin with? Like why why do that? Uh, what's the basis for an eco spirituality? Uh, how is an eco spirituality different from the dominant Christian or cultural narratives about? Uh, the world, the planet, and the crises we face. So maybe some of those are, are questions that uh, can kind of be stirring in your mind as we get going um, this month. So uh, in creation spirituality, Matthew Fox outlines four paths. So I think this might be a helpful kind of framework for us to to think about it. We're going to talk about two on Sunday and two in this particular podcast, and then we'll talk about the two, the other two next week. So uh, the four paths for creation spirituality are the positive way, the negative way, the creative way, and the transformative way. Positive, negative, creative, transformative. And these are paths for uh, talking about what matters. And that's kind of a, a phrase um, that I've, I've thought about just generally outside of uh, creation spirituality for years. And we've talked about uh, Paul, X, Paul Tillich's definition of theology being uh, simply matters of ultimate concern. Whenever you think about uh, what is theology, it sounds like, you know, something that belongs 
in the academy or something. What is theology? It it is what matters. Like what matters to us. So when we think about addressing uh, the climate crises and thinking about uh, uh, sort of resilient eco spirituality that is deeply true and resonant with the Christian tradition, uh, it is a way of talking about what what matters and. I like this uh, framework for uh, these four paths in thinking about four different ways of talking about what matters. So all four paths that he addresses here are ways that I think we can think about navigating the climate crises um, because joy and suffering, letting go, creativity, justice, all of these matter. And all of these matter for... uh, hopefully the right kind of collective personal and collective resiliency that we, that it require that this, that these crises living at this time, uh, it, it requires of us that all of these things matter. So this week we're going to talk about the necessary interplay between the positive and negative ways. And then we'll kind of follow up next week about how that plays into the creative and transformative work for liberation and peace. Like I said earlier, um, justice is at the heart of eco-spirituality. So justice is at the heart of eco-spirituality. I think one of the key factors for um, how we think about eco-spiritualities is that they is that they recognize that we have to live from a different cosmological space um, that starts with love and goodness. So, for instance, excuse me, uh, it recognizes that, it firstly recognizes that all things are sacred. And uh, particularly includes in the sort of liberation theology tradition, what and who are excluded by current systems of power and domination. So it starts with uh, recognizing that all things are sacred. So an an ecological spirituality takes us from a broadly anthropocentric or human-centered consumer-driven worldview uh, that most of Western capitalism uh, falls under and instead embeds us within all of creation in cosmic time that values the lived expressions of love and values harmony between all created beings. So it embeds us within all of creation in cosmic time. So Christian eco-spiritualities are, they're, they're uh, distinctly Christian, but they're inclusive in ways that honor all spiritual, indigenous, secular traditions. It acknowledges that we need art and science and mysticism. Eco-spiritualities are, are expressions of the broader movement for cosmic well-being and peace. There's this uh, great uh, Nicaraguan priest uh, and liberation theologian uh, named Ernesto Cardinal, and he wrote in his book, uh, The Cosmic Canticle, uh, a few things that I'm going to read here. He writes, You haven't ceased to exist. You've always existed and will always exist not just in this one, in all universes. But it's true, once you were alive, you thought you loved, and now you're dead. It's being like, let's say, the earth or the stone, which is the same. Hard stone because it feels nothing at all. But no, hard stone, 
not of a bit of it. Yes, you do feel beyond the speed of light at the end of space, which is time, absolutely conscious within the very much living consciousness of all that exists. We have come from the heart of God, and as much as a part of, a, of God as the fetus is a part of the mother, and we all return to God, as humanity tends to return to the maternal womb. In the beginning, there was nothing, neither space nor time. The entire universe concentrated in space, in the space of a nucleus of an atom, and before that, even less, much less th- th- than a proton, and even less still, an infinitely dense mathematical point. So, I think his writings display the, a kind of cosmic Christian imagination for recognizing the sacred that is within us all, but also situates us and human history among everything in the sort of cosmological space. And I think it's important to have this general orientation because if we're able to pan out a little bit, we can begin to see that the cosmic Christian story is one of original blessing, wholeness, goodness. And as we all know, much of Western Christianity and Protestantism is influenced by the Augustinian understanding of original sin when in actuality, in, in the Genesis creation narrative, uh, God creates the universe and everything in it and called it good. Uh, this is a kind of spiritual, cosmological consciousness um, that, that was radical for the time because this story stood in contrast to so many of the violent creation narratives of its day. And in this story, the universe is birthed with creativity and love and is blessed. And this is the tradition of the Hebrew scriptures and the nature-based spirituality that is reflected in the life of Jesus. And then that spirituality is extended into the cosmological Christian vision of the cosmic Christ, the restoration of all things, uh, new heavens and a new earth. So uh, it's important, I think, to see that this uh, th- that there is a cosmic story of, of goodness and blessing within the tradition that has been disconnected, that we've been disconnected from, and that has been uh, dis- diminished in so much of Western Christianity and Western Protestantism. Um, because we've had such an emphasis on sinfulness and individual salvation, and it's created just kind of this dualistic perspective um, that most most of us are familiar with. Uh, and we know that Christian mystics throughout history have affirmed the vision that Christ is in all things and everything that exists, exists in Christ. And I think it's important to begin with this framework and understanding when we think about Christian ecological spiritualities or uh, eco-spiritual perspective, um, because we have to begin with the fact that we are loved and created uh, just as we are 
along with everything else that has evolved for 13.8 billion years uh, to bring us to this moment. This, starting with a kind of acceptance and love, allows us to extend that uh, outward towards our communities, our enemies, the planet, and this cosmic vision of time. And so once we have a similar starting place, I think the conversation can then develop from there. Like, how is this, how is this starting place different from much of Christianity's narrative about uh, original sin, fallenness, brokenness, uh, the need for a savior, et cetera? It's like we, we've been focused on those conversations, uh, focused, uh, obsessed with those conversations for hundreds of years. Um, that we've we've lost so much of um, so much of the story. So maybe some questions are is like, so how does this starting place? If this is where we're starting the conversation from, um, like where where can it go from there? How how does this differ from so many of the narratives um, that we grew up with or um, that exist even within the broader uh, broader culture about? Um, how people talk about uh, climate, which often are influenced um, by these narratives of consumer capitalism and um, Christianity more broadly. Uh, another question, what might the effect of a perspective of blessing and wholeness as opposed to uh, perspectives of sin and brokenness um, what is what might be the be the effect of changing that perspective from original sin to original blessing? Uh, why why might it be beneficial to begin with original blessing? I think uh, if we can see ourselves as born as a blessing to the world, we start to see that everything is being born as a blessing to the world. That it changes the the how we relate to. Uh, everything around us, um, that we find uh, a new kind of relationship with uh, the, not only the people around us, but people that we will never meet, a future that we will never see. Meister Eckhart said, uh, relation is the essence of everything that exists. Relation is the essence of everything that exists, the isness of God, the isness of God. The very being of God is this relationship. And so I think the positive way is simply about waking up to the reality and miracle that we are here, that everything around us is the isness of God. The isness of God, goodness, blessing, wholeness, uh, that we situate ourselves within a new cosmological, it's not new, but a, a different cosmological story of, of love and joy and awe at the sheer gift of life all around us. So it's about opening ourselves up to, to awe. Uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote, awe enables us to perceive in the world imitations of the divine. Perceive in the world imitations of the divine. To sense in small things the beginning of infinite significance. To sense the ultimate in the common and the simple. To feel in the rush of the passing of the stillness of the eternal. 
to perceive in the world imitations of the divine, to see the sacred in everything, to see the isness of God in everything. Um, at Mission Hills, we talk about um, we talk all the time about the importance of embracing beauty, and, and that's what uh, that's what this brings to mind: uh, to see beauty all around us, which is part of the positive way. So. Uh, Another way to say it is to live with a kind of radical amazement for what it is to be here, to be here, to be grateful. Uh, Eckhart said that if the only prayer you ever said was thank you, it would be enough. If the only prayer you ever said was thank you, it would be enough. Uh, Matthew Fox considers he has uh, commandments for each of the four ways. So the commandment for the positive way is thou shalt fall in love at least three times a day. <laughs> thou shalt fall in love at least three times a day. Uh, he writes, creation spirituality begins with awe, wonder, and falling in love. It is that of praise that flows from the beholding of the awe of our being here. So maybe some questions about this. Uh, can you think of a time when you felt deeply connected with love for yourself, nature, for someone suffering? Um, Maybe you could take time to draw an image or a symbol that comes to mind when you think of being in awe or amazed. So, um, so we move from the positive way to the negative way, which is the recognition of pain, suffering, darkness, the process of letting go. That this is part of what it means to be uh, humans, what is part of um, being a part of this cosmic story. Meister Eckhart said, God is super essential darkness and that the ground of the soul is dark. Sorry, I'm giving a lot of Meister Eckhart quotes. Uh, God is super essential darkness and the ground of the soul is dark. And uh, in talking about the negative path, Matthew Fox writes, uh, there's no movement from superficiality to depth and every spiritual journey is about moving from the surface to the depths without entering the dark. Um, I think the negative way, for me, it it honors uh, the pain and experience of the world. Uh, the negative way uh, is okay in, in willing to face our personal sufferings, our shadow, as we recognize that we can't heal if we don't address the wounds that we have. Uh, and the negative way is is an archetypal path, like he's mentioning for the personal spiritual journey and the broader planetary story of healing and renewal. But it's also more than just an archetypal story. It, it's a because it, it is involves the the liberation and healing of the planet. It involves real injustice, and in this case, uh, climate injustices that harm people and all living beings. Uh, the, the future of uh, our planet and the future of humanity. Uh, depends on this, depends on this conversation. Um, it depends on these ideas that we're talking about, that we, that we, uh, that we heal the wounds that we have, that we, it's, it's a necessity to go into, uh, to the suffering and into the dark, that we can't begin to mend if we just ignore them, um, or if we don't listen to those who are impacted by, um, ecological devastation, uh, just as we can't fully know, ourselves or God with, with just, uh, more theology books, words and images. Uh, and the negative way recognizes that there's, 
there's both personal and cosmic dynamic to this of woundedness and suffering and that we feel this as interconnected beings who are, like we said, in relationship, uh, that, you know, we all need healing and liberation and that, uh, your healing and liberation is, is mutually tied to, to mine as well and vice versa. Um, you know, we see, we've talked about it so many times, but this is, uh, Jesus was intimately connected with the suffering of those around him and the systemic and personal injustices, uh, that resulted from so much, um, economic inequality and violence. So when we think about, uh, entering in the darkness, uh, we think about grieving and suffering climate grief, uh, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit more next week about, uh, is absolutely necessary. Climate grief is absolutely necessary for us to develop solutions that match the magnitude of these compounding crises. And Joanna Macy, when when talking about uh, eco-grief, says that until we can grieve for our planet, we cannot love it. Grieving is a sign of spiritual health. And so when we think about uh, developing a framework for uh, our lives and for um, eco-spirituality and for how we engage in climate action. It's important to know that it's it's not only okay to grieve, um, but that it's necessary, that uh, it's important for us to grieve, uh, for us to actually love, and that grieving is, is a sign of our spiritual health, uh, not some problem to be overcome. Uh, we've spoken in years past in different contexts about having hearts that are broken open uh, for the pain and suffering of the world allows love to flow more fully through us. When we are open, we are able to to grieve and to listen to ourselves and listen to others in the world around us. Uh, Brittany Brown puts it like, vulnerability is the path. Vulnerability is the path. So uh, maybe some questions to kind of wrap us up is, are, how have you experienced the negative path? How How can the negative path uh, ad- help us address ecological disasters. How how might embracing the darkness be a way of connecting us with the divine? Um, Matthew Fox's commandment for this path is, "Thou shalt dare the dark." Thou, thou shalt dare the dark. Uh, in other words, God is found in the dark. God is found in the void, in the aftermath of devastation. God is found in our pain, in the silence. In eco-spiritualities that dare the dark create space for hope, courage, and resiliency to grow. And so uh, I hope this starts us out uh, thinking about uh, eco-spirituality in a framework uh, that we can develop some conversation from uh, talking specifically this week about these two paths of starting with the positive way, the path of gratitude, the path of original blessing, awe, wonder uh, at being here. And then weighing that with how we engage the negative way, the necessity of going into the wounded place to uh, understand uh, our own grief, our own shadow, the pain and suffering of the world in response to uh, climate injustice, in how uh, eco-spirituality is, uh, requires a kind of healthy grief uh, for what is, 
because it is a sign of how much we care and how much we love. And these two paths uh, from this, creativity and liberation are able to flow freely out of. And so that's going to kind of kick us off and kind of get started for the month. And uh, I hope to see you sometime during the month of September. Hope you're doing well. And as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well. Broken heart and a crow in the yard.